Mark chapter 1. What are you laughing at? Just kidding. Um, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Let me give you a little quick recap, in case you haven't been around since January 1. January 1, we started talking about the book of Mark. The first part of it was something called the Incipit. And it's where Mark lays out who Jesus is and what Jesus' plan is. He talks about Eden and Israel and Rome. And then we went through an overview of the whole book of Mark. Then we talked about what the gospel is and what the kingdom of God is. Um, uh, Mandy ta- came up here and talked about Jesus' baptism and how, the, how meaningful that is for us. Uh, we had House Church Sunday, um, and some of you are a part of that. Um, and then we did two weeks where we talked about Jesus uh, and his calling of these fishermen um, out, of their, out of their boats, literally, to come and follow him. And we heard from Maniola. We heard her story. It's just been a, a, like a really cool run. But like Mandy said at the beginning of all this, um, today we begin this uh, kind of, we, we step up the pace a bit. Um, the next chunk uh, that we're going to look at over the next four weeks is basically 24 hours in the life of Jesus. 24 hours, a series of kind of random uh, passages and stories and events that all happen within 24 hours. And basically what we're trying to communicate what, what Mark's trying to communicate is that um, this is what the kingdom looks like, like on a daily basis. This is what Jesus is like showing us. He's not just announcing the kingdom of God is here. He's actually showing us what it looks like. And so it starts in verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, I want you to stop right there, like circle four important words here. Capernaum, if you're you're into circling. Um, Sabbath, synagogue, and teach. Okay, first, Capernaum. And you know it's map time when we're talking. And here's the thing. I got a laser pointer. Uh, Mandy reminded me today. So let's throw the map up. Yes. Okay, so Capernaum, right there. So Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum is called the Gospel Triangle. This is the area where Jesus did a whole bunch of his teaching and his work. These are uh, uh, folks that are very into the Torah. Um, These are Torah-observant Jews. This is where a lot of uh, what we talked about discipleship happened. Um, Rabbis and teachers would have followers that would follow them and learn the Torah and learn the teachings. And so Capernaum is actually uh, named after uh, the prophet Nahum in the Old Testament. Um, Think of uh, Caper Nahum. Is, is really the name of this town, and it's the headquarters for Jesus for a, a few short years. This is actually where Peter lives. This is where Peter's family is from. We'll get into that here in a second. And so this becomes Jesus' home base, really, for, for the years to come. Okay, the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest and worship. This begins on Friday at sunset. And ends on Saturday at sunset. Okay, so that's a very important part of this story. And then it says, in the synagogue. 
Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue um, is much like you and I would call church in the sense of um, that's my church. Um, and, and, and there's uh, referencing a group of people that gather, but also a synagogue could be a building. Now, depends on the size of the community. They had a physical structure, whether they had a physical structure or not. And synagogues began... Um, during exile. And so in Babylon, this is where the Jewish people gathered in, 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 in community in these buildings called synagogues. And so Jesus is uh, in the synagogue, and a synagogue service basically had four parts to it. It had prayer, it had a reading from the Torah, it had a sermon, and then a closing blessing. Now, you're probably wondering, well, what about singing? Well, Jewish people sang all the time. Their worship was as they worked, as they walked, as they were together as family. So they would, they would worship in song, literally to, when they were awake. And that's something that we're going to be talking about down the road here is what worship looks like. Worship doesn't just look like showing up and singing some songs. I think Elliot is pushing us and, and wanting us to understand that worship is more than that. Um, and, and that's what we get from the Jewish people as well. But the teaching part of it, the focus, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Now, the, the synagogue did not have pastors and, and paid people that oversaw uh, their synagogue. They were usually unpaid. And, and what they would have is sometimes they would have a visiting rabbi or a visiting priest in town, and that person would teach. And Jesus is a visiting rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He shows up, and he is invited to teach. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Now, how would teachers of the law teach? Well, teachers of the law, the scribes, were like the lawyers. They were like the ones who knew the law really well. They could, they could articulate it really well. They understand the nuances of it. Um, but what teachers of the law would do is they would, by and large, quote other teachers of the law. So most of the time, they would just say, Rabbi, so-and-so says, or, or this person says, or kind of like what I do on Sunday morning sometimes, I have quotes of other teachers, right? So they say, so-and-so says this, or like I say, N.T. Wright says this, or so-and-so says this. That's what they would do. They would bring teaching, okay, um, of what other people also thought about the Torah. Now, what's interesting um, is Jesus taught different than that? Jesus, it says here, taught as one with authority. Now, that word authority is exousia, which is actually where we get the word author. Okay? And what is happening here is it's, it's almost as if Jesus is teaching, as some scholars put it, out of the original stuff. You know, like... He's more than a teacher. He's actually telling the story of the world as if he's the author. Does that make sense? It's like this guy 
this guy knows a depth of this, like he was there when it started. And it says this, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So you can imagine this was a little bit of a disruption. This is not like a normal thing that this happens. And um, this is an impure spirit. So this is a demon scared to death of Jesus. And as if Jesus is encroaching on his turf. And the thought was in those day, that day was um, if you... That if your spiritual enemy's name, if you said your spiritual enemy's name out loud, you somehow had advantage over it. And this was just kind of the thinking of the time. But it does not work. And Jesus says in verse 25, be quiet. Come out of him. And at that, the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Okay, so this was unheard of. Demonization in this time, um, and it, it, it's still a thing, um, but it was an epidemic in Jesus' day all over the Mediterranean, um, and, it, and it still is a, an epidemic today. We just have a very um, veneered life. Let's just put it that way. And there's all sorts of writings and rabbinical scrolls that talk about demonization and talk about uh, what to do in case you encounter somebody who has an evil spirit. And in some of these scrolls, it talks about invoking the name of Solomon or Isaiah. Um, and then you would go through these rituals and incantations. Here's a couple of the rituals that you can try at home. One of them is taking... <laughs> I was debating on whether to talk about this, but you guys know my humor. One of them is taking human feces and, like, making someone smell it. I don't know what that's supposed to do. That's just weird. But that was in the scrolls. The other one is actually worse. It's, it's, <laughs> it's called trepanning. If you've heard of this, where you would drill into the victim's skull to let the spirit out. And what they found is like, if you survived that, <laughs> um, I don't know if you just get a cork or, or but, but if, you if you survived it, right, um, the victim would actually carry around on a necklace that circular piece of bone from their head right and it was like a it was to ward off more spirits so it, actually they found they found graveyards where like they, they they measured like six out of every hundred people had this done to them it's crazy jesus doesn't do this stuff it's pretty cool he actually he doesn't do any Harry Potter stuff or incantation stuff or anything like that. He just says, shut your mouth and get out. That's what Jesus does. 
And in verse 27, the people were so amazed. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with exousia, with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. So they are flat out blown away by Jesus. This traveling rabbi who shows up at their synagogue. And so news about him, it says in verse 28, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of, of Galilee. So Capernaum, Capernaum is on a northwest trade route. I mean, it's like, it's going right through, right? It's like on I-25, okay? And news is going north and south about this traveling rabbi. And so as soon as they left the synagogue, here's the thing. The day's not over. The 24 hours I talked about, it has just begun, okay? The day is just getting started. As soon as they left the synagogue, so early afternoon, kind of like what you're going to do when you leave here today, they went to, with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Okay, so remember, James and John, fishermen, Jesus says, come follow me. Simon and Andrew, fishermen, come follow me. So they're Piling around, okay, there's the five of them, maybe some others that are connected to them, but basically the five of them, they decide, let's go over and crash at Peter's house, grab some lunch, it's after the synagogue. They come to Peter's house and understand that homes in this day were not what our homes are. It's not like a single family home. You would have like a complex of, insula, it's called an insula complex, where there would be multiple homes built on around each other, and there would be a large courtyard in the middle. So this is the kind of thing that they would do. They would live together as extended family, okay? Imagine 50 and 60 of your extended family living so close together. Mother-in-law, father-in-law, cousins, aunts and uncles, everybody all together, and you shared a courtyard. Now, some of you are like, that sounds awesome. You could share, <laughs> you would cook together, you would watch each other's kids, all that kind of stuff. But this is what, what they said. They, when they went to this home, this is what you need to think of. Simon's mother-in-law, verse 30, was in bed with a fever. So what do we learn here? Peter's married, okay? Fisherman Peter, come follow me. He's, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to go ask my wife. No, he was, he's married, um, and, and this is her, you know, she's part of this family, so that they're all there, and, and they immediately told Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law and her fever. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now, for some of you who are feeling like this sounds a little sexist, um, it's not intended to be that way. Peter's mother-in-law got up, and basically what you need to understand is she, was, she experienced full and complete healing. And she got to do what she loved to do. And she got to serve them and, and wait on them and care for them. And, and here's the thing. In Jesus' economy, in the kingdom economy, healing isn't about uh, symptom relief. Healing is about full and complete and total healing. And this is what Peter's mother-in-law experiences. 
But the day is still not over. That evening, verse 32, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Okay, stop right there. So what happened at sunset? Sabbath is over. Okay, so here's what's been building all day. Big event at the synagogue, right? Not only was a guy teaching that had authority, like he was the author of everything, but he heals this demon-possessed dude. And he didn't drill into his skull or do other stuff. He just, with authority, told the demon to leave. And then they go to lunch at Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law gets healed, and 50 or 60 people see it happen. And so buzz starts to happen all around Capernaum, right? And remember, Capernaum's probably 600 to 1,000 people total, a bunch of different communities, uh, family insulas are there. Okay, so what happens? Sun's setting. The sun is setting. Sabbath is almost over. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to take you and you and you. We're going to go find this teacher. That is the first thing we're going to do. We are going to go find this teacher, this teacher with authority. And they show up. The whole town, it says in verse 33, gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they, uh, because they knew who he was. So Jesus heals and heals. And he's, and he's healing people of diseases and sicknesses. And he's casting out demons. He's probably late into the night. And this was probably an amazing scene. I mean, a great deal were healed. Now, this is where, uh, what's interesting is this is where uh, some people in the history of our church actually came up with Sunday night church. This idea of Sunday morning um, at the tabernacle and that Sunday night would be about um, God moving and God healing. Um, Just a little side little church history thing. And then we get this. The 24 hours are still not over. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him because Jesus is a big deal right now. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, Jesus is very popular after this, this Sabbath, right? And um, if you were to compare it to um, a, a campaign rally, which seems to be happening these days, I mean, this would have been a very impressive campaign rally, right? And if you are a campaign, um, you know, head of a campaign, you're like, we've got to capitalize on this rally. We've got to keep doing this. What does Jesus do? No. He sneaks off. He goes 
off on his own. And he prays. And we're going to dive into that a ton next week. Okay? But this is one long story that will continue on as we go. But I want us to notice for today three different things uh, about what we've looked at today. And, And I think these are super important for us. The first one is this. Jesus did his work in the synagogue and in the home. He did his work in the synagogue and in the home. And it's the gathering of God's people and the scattering of God's people that were both important to Jesus. And I think this is super important for us. Both are very important. Now, there's a myth in in our day and age that Jesus was anti-organized and anti-corporate gathering of, of believers. That Jesus was this kind of wandering, hipster, artsy dude that pushed back. On, he was anti-establishment, <laughs> and, and, he, and he didn't want to have anything to do with the corporate gatherings. That's just straight, straight up false. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He went to synagogue after synagogue to teach. And many times, that's where he engaged with the teachers of the law at the time and and pushed back against the things they were saying. But he found it completely necessary for the people of God to gather. And at the same time, he saw it totally necessary to do things in homes and on the road, and he brought the synagogue. In fact, it was almost as if he let the synagogue's doors open to pour out into the world. And he showed by how he lived and how he taught and how he healed and how he cared for people that the kingdom of God was breaking through. It wasn't just in the synagogue, but it was in our homes, it was along the road, it was everywhere he went. And, and we need both. We literally need both. And we need to gather together like this. And we need to be in our homes and in our communities intentionally. And so I would say that if you were experiencing just going to church, you're missing something. You're missing what God is wanting to do in and through you and in and through the community that you have. And if you were just... Um, you're not here if you're maybe just experiencing not going to church and just kind of a beer with a friend and kind of patting each other on the back and you can do it. Um, you need more than that as well. Like there's, there's this both and. The second thing that I think is really important is this. Jesus saw the home as a place for ministry and mission. It, it's not how you and I see our homes sometimes. Um, Ministry, I would, I would, these are very churchy words, so let me explain what I mean by ministry. Ministry is serving people inside God's family. Like sometimes there's just like how we serve each other in our family um, of God. And then the mission would be serving people outside of, outside of the faith. Um, and we think, the problem is for some of us, for many of us, in fact, maybe all of us, we see our homes as like a retreat from the world. We see our homes as a place we go and hide out and, and stick to ourselves. And, and it's like our place to get away from it all. It's our castle. And we've talked about this in the past before. For Jesus, it was inverted. That the home was this place of, 
of communal connectivity. Uh, a home is a place where you serve each other. Um, and if you wanted to rest, you would go off to a solitary place. If you wanted to rest and retreat and get alone with God and, and be um, renewed, you would have to think about it. You would have to, 60 people roam, roaming around, and there's so many chores to do and so many things to do. To get alone in your thoughts and close to God, you would have to sneak off, right? Because there was so much activity. Now, this has profound implications, I think, for us. Because on two levels. One, for some of you who are parents in the room, and you have young children, and you just feel like you're in this space where it's just like, I never get a moment. Like, I'm just, there's just so much on your shoulders. Um, I, I literally think, after surviving children, That literally, for you young parents, I just want to encourage you, here's how you get through it. You get through it with a work ethic. And I'm not trying to, uh, uh, you have to think of it as a second job. Like, your children require so much for us. And it's so hard to be there sometimes and actually be fully there and fully present and not on Instagram, you know, and just like with your children. And And it's really a season. And a lot is required from uh, you know from you for your children, and it's worth it. Every bit of it is worth it. And and you know, when you think about your community, like like your home as a place of community, as well. A couple questions for us: Is your home open? I mean, Peter's home is open, right? Peter's home after the synagogue. They're like, let's go to Peter's. Cool, and they go to Peter's. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus does work there. He does ministry there. But there's this community. There's this, there's this beautiful part about what it looks like. Do you think of your home differently than it's just a, um, a place to go and retreat and a place to go and hide? Uh, do you think of your kitchen table as a really good place where Jesus stuff happens? And, and that would be my encouragement to us. And then, and then the last part here, before we kind of get into really where I think all of this is headed, is Jesus carved out time for renewal. He made time for it. And this is so difficult for many of us in this room. Jesus has a rhythm for it. Um, what's your rhythm? Um, I'll just be honest with you. I am tired. <laughs> just like uh, there is so much happening in um, our family's life and in the life of our church right now. And it's good stuff and hard stuff and, you know, meetings and thinking. I mean, I don't know if you guys have the kind of a job where you wake up thinking about it and go to sleep thinking about it. I have that kind of a job. And, and it's my emotional tank. There's, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so more people, better, you know. But I'm even finding that sometimes I don't like people as much. Don't worry. But that, that I need some just to, to retreat 
um, a bit. And so yesterday, I did just that. I retreated in my garage for the whole day, and I cut wood, and I listened to baseball, because that's God's sport. <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. I mean, you could just hear summer over the radio. You could just hear it. And I prayed for us. I prayed for my family. And I did some good woodworking and I did some poor woodworking, but that wasn't the point. <laughs> you and I need time alone with God. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but this idea of you being in tune and awake and aware in prayer. Notice, Jesus doesn't grab a Bible and a moleskin and, and, go, and go, that's a, for some of you who are younger, and go off and find a park bench and, or a coffee shop. That's not what Jesus does. In fact, it's 1,500 years away from a copy of the Bible, okay? He didn't go to the synagogue, grab an armful of scrolls, and head off... <laughs> No, it was Jesus alone with the Father. Early, away from everybody. And all, here's the thing. All of your life is time with God. But when you intentionally think about what does it look like to be alone with God, I, mean, I don't know if you have a rhythm for that. Some of you might go, man, I feel like I need to get some stuff off my chest and, or I need to listen to God. And it's not an accident that Jesus comes out of this with clarity and focus. It's not an accident. I mean, he could have slept in that morning. People could have woken him up and said, hey, man, there's a line of people out front. There's a line of people out front. Do what you did last night. Do that cool thing, Right? Do that thing, Jesus. But no, Jesus decides to leave, get his head right. In fact, every single time in Mark, and you look at the Gospels, every, you can chart Jesus' kind of busyness and his popularity, right? The more he gets alone. So there are places where it's just like things are just moving and Jesus gets alone. And we'll look at all of this stuff next week. But my question to us today is, what is the point? I mean, here's like a whole bunch of random stories, it seems like. And, and I've read some things, and um, uh, some people think that this passage is, it, the point of this is Jesus is just a super nice guy. Like he is, he's a positive, uh, he wants the best for people, and he's like this super nice guy. And, and while I think Jesus is a nice guy and wants the best for people, I don't think that's the main point. Some people who are very, very uh, serious about Scripture say, well, this proves that Jesus was God. Um, he heals people. And therefore, <laughs> therefore, Jesus is God. And that's the proof that he's God. Well, I 100% believe that Jesus is God. I just don't think this is the main point. I mean, listen, listen, hear me out. Peter, down the road, begins to heal people. 
Elijah healed people. Paul healed people. But that wasn't proof that they were God. So I think it's really amazing that Jesus does do all this stuff, and it's great. I would argue that this begins to, this, this whole passage, what we're looking at today, um, it, how we read these random stories, we read these random stories of signs of God's inbreaking rule into the world. That Jesus shows up and he actually says the kingdom of God is near. And then we begin to see that actually happen. That Jesus heals and drives out demons and, and, and he does these things that show us what N.T. Wright calls symbolic acts, right? These are not random events. They're all on purpose because it's the stuff that Messiah was supposed to do in order to usher in the age to come, okay? This is what they were waiting for. This is what the Jewish people were waiting for, a Messiah who would come and do these things. Now, this is huge, right? This is what it will look like When resurrection comes, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. It looks like complete healing. It looks like complete freedom. It looks like renewal. It looks like all about Messiah. So this is Mark's way of saying, this is what God's world looks like. This is what it looks like. This is a glimpse of the world that is coming on the horizon. It's this healing, it's new life, it's freedom, it's inclusion. And Jesus is announcing, it's here. Here's a taste. And if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it looks like freedom from the demonic. It looks like a complete full healing of a mother-in-law. It looks like Jesus touching a social outcast, which is at the end of this 24-hour day. This is what it looks like when God is in charge. This is what it looks like when the rule of God is active. This is what a, a society looks like that has Jesus as king. This is what it is. And just because you are in church today... And I'm glad you are. It doesn't mean that you and I have our acts together. Right? You are not here because everything's going well. You are not here today because, um, you know, you, you showered, you put on some good clothes, and, and you showed up with a smile. But it doesn't mean that everything's going well. Here's the thing. You might be here and you actually even added to the fact that you showered and had a smile on your face and wore some nice clothes. You actually might show up here and you actually know a lot. You know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about Jesus. And while it's true that you do not have to have your act together before you come to church. It's also true that just because you are at church doesn't mean that your act is together. And it's a fascinating thing because I think the first story takes place in the synagogue. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. 
And so does the last story. We read, we read in 39, it says, so he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Like, it's just a part, the gathering. But what's interesting is the demonic happened in church. Right? Like, he didn't have his life together. He didn't have his act together. And my guess is, Like, if we were to have everybody in this room write down all the relational turmoil, all the abuse, all the fear, all the addiction, all the dysfunction, all the guilt and shame that has happened in your life, and we, would, we, we could just put it on these walls, it would probably be pretty nauseating. It would probably be pretty overwhelming. It would probably break the back. It would probably break us. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, what do all these little small, seemingly neat stories about Jesus mean? Well, maybe you're here today and you, you, literally, you literally need a sign of God's inbreaking rule. Like, the week you've had, the year you've had, you, you just literally need it. You've got to see it. And maybe it, I'm just going to throw this out there, maybe it has to do with the demonic. I know we're like post-enlightenment, rational people. Let's just, let's, just, let's just pretend this is real. Like maybe there is something literally sinister lurking in your life. Maybe there's terror and fear. Maybe there's a memory that continues to come back. Maybe it has to do with the why. Why the loss? Why the pain? Why this relationship? Maybe it has to do with sickness in your life. Maybe, it has, maybe you just need a move of God in your life. Again. And you read, and this is why it's so hard for you to read the Bible, because you read this stuff and you're like, Psh, I, don't, I don't feel that. I don't see that. I don't believe that. Mark is trying to tell us that God is moving, his inbreaking rule is here. And sometimes we need each other as a community to see it. So we're going to take communion today, but before we do that, I'm going to do something that's going to require maybe some courage on your part. You're like, great, this is a Dan thing. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simply ask this. If you are here and you are desperate for God to move, if you are desperate to just see, to experience God's inbreaking rule and reign in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And when you stand up, I know it's going to take courage. 
but there are people around that soon after, I'm going to ask to stand up next to you. And then I'm going to lead us in praying. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to share about it. You just simply need to stand up. And so if that's you today, if you just feel like, I have got to hear from God. Stand up. Bravery. Thanks, you guys. You're not alone. And for those of you still sitting, I don't believe that you don't want to hear from God. But I believe that you could stand around these people who do. Would you do that? You find someone near you? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for each other. And God, I'll admit, even reading these stories, even reading these pages, I, I sometimes wonder if you still work, if you still move, if you still heal. if you still set people free. <sighs> but you do. And God, whatever's in the lives of those who stood up today who are yearning for you, or you give them a taste of your healing of your freedom, of your presence. Would you give us the faith and the eyes to see what you're doing all around us every day? God, would you show us what it looks like to be people who don't just show up at synagogue, but make our homes intentional make our walking around and our doing life and the menial tasks intentional? Would you show us the places where there are people on the margins that do not get approached or touched like we'll read in a few weeks? Would you show us those people in our lives? And God, would you heal? Would you set us free? We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and our Lord. Amen.